0: I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever, but don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This is your host, Janelle Wood. and I am so excited to be sharing with you a very special conversation that I had. With my dear friend and beautiful uh, sister in the Lord, Melanie Castaneda. Melanie has been on this podcast before, as you will hear here in a moment. And really, this episode should be two parts, but it's not. We have a lot of content coming up. We're running out of weeks in the month of April to address Castan's questions that she had that we shared at the beginning of the month. Um, but this episode, just so you know, the first half of it, uh, which again could be an episode all in itself is my friend, Melanie sharing her own journey, um, with her spirituality, but also, uh, her mental health. And it's a powerful story. And in the second half of the episode, we're going to be talking about some of Kasten's questions regarding mental health and the church and what difference Jesus Christ makes in the mix of a mental health um, crisis or journey. And I think this is a very powerful episode. And just so you're aware, we are going to discuss some pretty heavy things uh, that may be a trigger for some people, including uh, definitely mental health issues, um, but also uh, suicide ideation. And so I just want you to be aware of that ahead of time here. Um, I'm just so grateful to my friend Mel for being so transparent and vulnerable. And um, yeah, to God be the glory. And I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I do. Well, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And listen, I am so excited that you're here and listening again to uh, Kasten's questions. Every month we We hope to feature a different story by a young woman who has questions about the Christian faith. Maybe she is a Christian herself, or maybe she's on um, a a different spiritual journey, but either way, uh, I was blessed to sit down and talk with different young women about their faith journeys and their questions regarding faith. And so this month we're featuring Kasten's story. Kasten shared about um, how she came to Christ. Um, through a lot of struggles and difficulties in her own life, including the loss of her brother and uh, mental health battles and uh, things that uh, where she ended up in a hospital and uh, really uh, broken and was introduced to Jesus Christ. And since then, that was a number of years ago, Caston has been on a, a spiritual journey and she shared about that but uh, she has some real questions about uh, following Jesus Um, and not easy questions, right? So she's asking about why are Christians more judgy than others or are they? Um, Questions about how do you deal with divisions within the church? These are loaded questions, but today we're going to be sitting down and talking with one of my favorite guests and actually one of my favorite people personally. I'll introduce her, her here in a second. But Kasten asked, why is there mental why is there a mental health stigma in the church in general? And how can we help those who are struggling with mental health issues? Uh, she also talked about why isn't mental health talked about more? from the pulpit, or why isn't it something that the church should be talking about all the time? Um, All great questions. Just so you know, Kastner was scheduled to be with us right this morning, but it is 620 a.m. on the West Coast, which is where I am located. Um, uh, Kind of. I, I live inland West Coast, but still West Coast time, and I'm guessing that might have something to do with her not being here right now. But uh, if she shows up, great. Uh, We will just have her join in the conversation. And if she doesn't, um, I'm sure she'll be listening to this later. But I am thrilled because my friend from Chicago is back here. In fact, in my phone, it says Melanie from Chicago. Uh, My friend, she's been on the podcast previously. She was one of the first guests that I had. We talked about identity and being loved by God back then, back in the fall of 2019. And then again, in uh, the beginning of 2020, before the pandemic, or before the pandemic affected, you know, the Western Hemisphere, she was here talking about mental health then, and the wholeness that's found in Christ. But I'm really excited about her being here today, because she's someone that I talk to on a regular basis. We're very good friends. Uh, She's like a sister to me in many ways. And uh, she has quite the story. And she gave me the leeway to say uh, that she would be willing to share her story today, which she has not done in full previously on this podcast. Um, I've done purposefully avoided asking her certain questions because I knew she wasn't ready to share them yet. Uh, but she's in a different place now. Um, and I'm just really, really grateful for what God has done in her life and her story. And uh, just incredibly proud of her and love um, the work that she she's demonstrating to the world of, of what Christ can do. So uh, this is my friend and uh, sister in the Lord Melanie Castaneda. Melanie, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. Thanks, Janelle. <laughs> hmm, was that nice enough? She she was directing me on what to say about her before we pressed record. <laughs> real nice. Real nice. <laughs> she just said, say something personal. <laughs> Instead of my LinkedIn profile, which by the way, if you're looking for a project manager in global relations, that's that's the thing, right, Mel? <laughs> With you. <laughs> I want you to get a job over here on the West Coast instead of Chicago, because, you know, you know you've been trying to get me over there for a while. I know. I'm not even sure I want to live here right now. So and it's <laughs> probably good for you to stay in Chicago. I don't know. Okay, nice. Is the Windy City. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you I didn't share I mean, obviously, that was very personal and and kind of a build up. But I didn't share all the things. Uh, You've been a health coach, you have a very strong interest in well being and mental health. Um, On a professional level, before we dive into your personal journey. um, Can you share a little bit about um, your experience working in the mental health and wellness uh, field?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I graduated in 2019 or 2019, 2016, um, with my degree in nutrition, dietetics and wellness. And so, uh, my, my hope when I graduated with that degree was to really focus on what it looks like to care for people well and come alongside people who are um, sick or who are trying to figure out their health journeys, essentially. Um, I I think I learned from a very young age, especially just being an athlete and um, having my own you know, body journey, as I think a lot of women do. Um, I, I realized that this is something that can really just ail people. Um, it's health is something that is a part of our every single day. Food is something that we have to have to survive. Um, and a lot of people, I would say, have a, a can have a, a, a bit of like a, a struggle with their relationship with food. I think, especially like over the last several years, we've been able to see a lot more stories of people sharing how food and health and their mental health and all of these areas of their lives really come together. And when one area is struggling, everything else seems to struggle too. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, um, I've experienced a lot of joy coming alongside others during their journeys of figuring out what their potential is and what, um, their lifestyle can look like. Um, particularly I love working with women who, um, yeah, who love the Lord and are looking at health from a biblical perspective. Uh, And then in terms of mental health, oh man, I would say mental health would be, um, a lot of my experience has been my own personal experience, Um, but also um, I did a lot of studying about it in seminary when um, I was in that season of my life. And um, yeah, you'd be surprised when you are a health coach, how much um, the physical health aspect and the mental health aspect really are joined together very closely and so that was something that i really enjoyed when i would coach people is being able to walk alongside them with practical application of nutrition and health and lifestyle changes but also encourage them in their um personal narrative that they're speaking to themselves and seeing how their own, um, dialogue in their head is affecting the choices that they make outside in the real world. So, yeah.
0: Mm. That's good. So you mentioned seminary. You also have an interest in theology as well. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. (laughs) Tell me a little (laughs) bit about that.
1: Yeah, I, uh, so, when I started seminary, my hope was to really gain an understanding of what the biblical understanding of health is. And so really when I went into that, um, it was that, that really started for me when I was a junior in college. I remember sitting in my classes in nutrition and just sitting there kind of like, honestly, like bored in a way and really struggling with the fact that I knew biblically that when we go to heaven and Christ comes back, our bodies are perfected. And so what does it look like to live on this side of glory and care for our bodies in such a way that is honoring to God? And there, yeah, there was a part of me, especially when I was in my junior and senior year where I was just really questioning, should I have gotten this degree? What like is, should I have just gone straight into like Bible and Mm -hmm. seminary and study things of, um, things of the Lord. And I, it would take me a little bit, but I would come to realize that they actually are very intertwined and you can't have one without the other. And so when I graduated with my nutrition degree, I knew immediately I wanted to go into um, further studying in theology and biblical studies to understand how uh, our physical health, our mental health, all areas of our health on this side of glory here on earth uh, are affected and can be redeemed and restored in light of Christ.
0: Yeah. And so you went and got your degree where moody
1: so i'm at yeah so um i'm actually still in the process so i have three classes left <laughs> and it's definitely been a journey but i yeah i love it
0: oh, i'm so proud of you so um also you are currently working at a large church so all of these things are related to what we're going to be talking about today you know why the church and mental health stigma and what's the issue here so um I'd love for you to share your personal journey, both with mental health and with Christ, because obviously they're connected, like you're talking about the whole, uh, the whole self. Um, So share, share your journey, because you didn't grow up necessarily in the church. Um, So I'd I'd love to hear that story, Mel.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, so I, um, I grew up in a household where I did go to church and, you know, once in a while, it was kind of a, uh, it was something that, um, my mom would really kind of take on as her role, uh, to, um, shepherd me and my, my siblings. And so we would go to church and we would, um, you know, just, it was, it would Depending on the season, we would um, be consistent or depending on the season, we would not be consistent. And so I think I realized from a very young age that I was in need of something more than myself Uh, From a young age, I remember having very strong emotions (laughs) and very intense emotions. Uh, I've always been a very passionate person and someone who feels things very strongly. Mm -hmm. And so I remember even as a kid, just being very uh, overwhelmed by my emotions and just realizing like, oh my gosh, like this can overtake me if I'm not careful. (laughs) And yeah, so I realized that from a young age and then, you know, various things happened throughout my upbringing. There was a lot of generational patterns that would come into play. Um, There would be, um, when I was 15, I would come to find out that uh, my, my dad would was actually um, not like my biological father. And that um, I had I learned that in a very traumatic way, <laughs> um, having my biological father come to my home and tell me himself. And it was, there was various different things that would come into play throughout my childhood and adolescent that would leave me with various different traumas. And so I think when I got to high school, I would say that I, I be, I became very hardened. Um, I still had that passion and I still felt very strong about things and the, the, I felt like I lost innocence very quickly. And I very quickly learned from a young age that life is hard and that life doesn't make sense. And that you can have happy times, but don't get, don't get caught up in the happy times because suffering is very close at hand mm-hmm. type of mentality. And so I think that that was something that really drove my younger years is always seeing like, and always waiting for when the ball would drop and pain would be on its way. And so, yeah, I, um, I think that things would really change for me once I got to college. And there was a season of life right before I left um, to be on campus um, at my university. And uh, I think that was the lowest point that I had hit as a young person um, in my like adolescent years. I remember just having, just feeling so just in such a dark place. I I think a lot of people who um, not only struggle with mental health, but I think in general, people get to places in life where life just feels so overwhelming. And even though you know the truth of Christ, you know the truth of his promises, it can be so difficult to see past um all of the darkness when you really don't feel like there's light piercing through Mm -hmm. and there is during that period of time I really felt that I was like searching and searching trying to see past this really opaque darkness like searching for one glimmer of light and I just couldn't find it and I remember um in terms of my faith at that period of time um it was something that I had, but I wasn't like, I wasn't all out. I was still very much like in a season of testing God, like, God, are you here? Like God, if if I'm going through all of these, these things of suffering and pain, like where are you actually in the midst of this? And why do I feel like I'm in such a heavy darkness? And I remember um, experiencing a lot of spiritual warfare during that time as well. And that was something that I became very aware of.
0: Is What's, what's spiritual warfare for someone listening who's not familiar with that term? What does that mean? Ah.
1: Yes, yes. So it's just um, kind of just stepping into the reality that we live in a um, a supernatural world where um, we have our physical, like the physical nature of we live on earth and we um, are able to see people and have like this physical realm. But also, there's a very real spiritual realm um, that also exists where um, we see this battle of um, the reality that. Satan still is here and he's lurking and he's doing all of these things to hurt people um, and try to take reign while simultaneously God is also in that realm. And it's this like almost like cosmic battle almost of this um, light versus darkness. And the reality is that we are also affected by that, um, that tension. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I can give an example of what that looked like. That'd be great. Yeah. And when I was 20 years old, um, that was probably again, like in my adolescent years, that was probably the, the hardest season and the, the darkest season I had hit in the, in that like young period of time. And, I remember having a dream um and I remember feeling like I was like in this dream I was like falling into this black hole and there I remember like I was falling in such a way where I was like looking up towards the ceiling and it was literally like darkness all around me mm-hmm. and I'm looking up at um like the the ceiling area and just searching for light, searching for light. And it was a very much a picture of, this dream was a picture of what I had been struggling with in my mind already. And I remember at one point, there was a voice that came out of nowhere and it was a voice that terrified me. And the voice said, "Um, I'm going to keep you here and you are never going to get out. Mm. And I remember waking up from that dream and being so afraid Mm. and it was this, almost this reality of like, it was this reminder of like, Melanie, you need to fight. Like you cannot stay here because the enemy wants you to stay here Mm -hmm. and he wants you to feel defeated. He wants you to feel like there is no way out. And so, um, I would struggle a little bit more. I would consider, okay, like I, I I had hit a point where I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do life. (laughs) Like, I don't know what it is to what it looks like to fight. Um, I had been in such a place of weakness for so long or false strength, like acting like I'm strong, Mm -hmm. acting like I have it together, acting like I can, um, you know, fight all of these battles when in reality, I was just so kicked down. And uh, yeah, I remember being in that season right before I went to university and thinking like, I don't want to do this anymore. God, I don't want to do life. Um, This is too heavy. This is too hard. I don't know how to get out of this. And um, I really, really contemplated just suicide, like just, just ending it and being done. Um, and I remember I went to church one day and I, it, it happened to be a baptism Sunday and I was sitting out in the crowd and I heard, I just saw all of these people going up and sharing these testimonies of God rescuing them in the midst of great darkness in great pain and suffering. And I remember my pastor at the time had stood up and said, if there's anybody else in this room who wants to devote their life to Christ, who is just on that edge and needs a little bit of that push, feel free to go to the back and we'll bring you up. And so I remember sitting there in the seat and feeling just this like weight on my chest of like God saying, this is it. Like, this is your time. Like, I am going to show you who reigns in your life. And so I remember running to the back, (laughs) a 20-year-old Melanie running to the back and um, yeah, sharing my testimony in front of the church and just saying like, I'm ready, like I'm ready to fight, I'm ready to to jump into this. I'm ready for God to rule and reign in my life. Um, like I um like I wanna be a picture of what it means to be born again. And so uh I would like to say that life got better and easier after that So you
0: got baptized that day with no preparation you just ran no in there and did it
1: I remember I came home and you I was like mom I, mom I got baptized and she was like <laughs> what like why didn't you tell us like we would have been there and I was like I don't know it was like a it was a split decision I had to do it
0: <laughs> were you were you the only one who ran up there and did that or were I there think it was
1: people? me and another person that is so cool Mm-hmm. it was a me and another person oh my gosh
0: I didn't know that story we've been friends for a few years and didn't know <laughs> Yeah, new things so you were gonna say you, you'd like to say it was all roses and sunshine after that but yeah yeah Not tell so me much. about the last 10 years yeah
1: oh man yeah the last 10 years Oof. um yeah so just to give a picture so that was when I was 20 I'm 29 now and so <laughs> nine she- nine years sorry No, no, I'm not calling you out girl. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh man. Um, if I could, uh, if I could kind of say a couple words in terms of my last nine, almost decade of life, I would say that it was and has been so full of continued suffering, um, and pain, but I have never seen the redemptive and restorative nature of God in my life being so present and real. And, uh, yeah, I, I, as Janelle said, I've never publicly shared my full story in terms of my mental health. Um, and, I have gotten to a place where I'm very proud of my story and I'm really proud of what God has done in my life. And so just to kind of start from the beginning in many ways, I left for college, as I had said, and I knew again from a young age that there were things that just like, I I was, I just, I had a lot of issues. Like, you don't, you, I think, I think when you walk away from specific areas of trauma and you don't, and especially at the time I didn't know it was trauma. I just knew that I felt a lot of pain and I was hurting and I didn't understand like what was going on in my life. And I was so overwhelmed by just these strong, strong emotions and, uh, I would find that it was so easy to down spiral. It was so easy to um, lash out to people who I love and who I care about. And I felt like I was constantly trying to hold it together. Um, And so when I went into college is when I realized I really needed help, that I was not going to be able to fix this on my own. In that I, if I could, I would have done it already. Um, So my first step for me was really going into therapy. Um, I've been in therapy for the last nine years (laughs) and continue to learn and grow. And that was the beginning of that journey for me was coming to find that um, I would be dealing with PTSD, um, that I had major anxiety disorder, And that there were areas of my past that I needed to really deal with that were still plaguing me to that day. Um, You know um, that was that was a period of time where I had a very serious relationship also, and that would be something that would play a role in my last you know nine years and uh, continuing to um learn and grow in the midst of that serious relationship um, also brought out so many things as well in terms of my mental health and so um hmm. so from there i would find that my diagnoses weren't quite over (laughs) i had grown a ton Um, I had graduated from college, that serious relationship um, would become even more serious and it would become a marriage and we would um, just continue to move forward in our life. And yet I still could not under, I still did not understand why I was in so much pain still. Um, I wasn't really feeling like I was struggling with the PTSD anymore, but my anxiety was through the roof. I felt like I had no handle of how to regulate myself, um, as just a person. Um, I would be in a season of just feeling like my emotions were either really, really high or really, really low. I could never find a balance of my emotions. And while a lot of people on the outside would say like, Mel, like you're, we would never guess this. You're so bubbly. And like, you seem so happy all the time and blah, blah, blah. It's like one of those, those examples of like people saying like, we would never know that you were depressed. We would never know that you were struggling because on the outside, you seem so okay. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing that all the time in the past, but when I lived it, I was like, wow, it is so easy to pretend. It's so easy to pretend like everything is okay and you have it together. And so fast forward in those years to 2019, uh, I would say that this was a huge catalyst in my mental health journey up until this point, I had um, been completely all over the place. I felt like my mental health was at its all-time worst. Um it it was really really rough, really really rough. I could not find just a sense of stability whatsoever. And so in 2019 is when everything changed. Um for the better, but also again, things often start with getting worse before they get better. And so in January of 2019, on January 4th, I was officially diagnosed with something called borderline personality disorder. And this is a disorder of uh, essentially emotional dysregulation. And so there are nine different criteria that make up this diagnosis. At the time of my diagnosis, I made up about eight of them. And to officially be diagnosed, you have to have five. So I was definitely well above the criteria during that period of time. And I remember getting that diagnosis and being so relieved, just relief washed over me because for so long, I had been going to God, crying to him, um, angry with him. Um, I remember at one of my worst times, I remember going to God and just saying, God, I hate you. Mm. I hate you because I've been begging you for years to help me figure out what's wrong with me because I know I'm not okay. And I have no answers. And I don't know what else to do. Like I continue to go to you. I continue to pray. I continue to read your word. I continue to try and figure out what it means to live in the spirit and walk in accordance to you. And yet I continue to do the things that I hate. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, after I, I really kind of let him have it and he was very gracious with it. (laughs) As he does always (laughs) um is when I got the diagnosis and I remember thinking like god yes finally I have no idea what this diagnosis means and quite frankly it sounds a little scary, Mm -hmm. but at least I have answers. Mm -hmm. And so uh that year uh 2019 I would move to Chicago. Um I would um my serious relationship. My marriage would continue during this period of time. And yeah, we, um, it was a very transitional period. I moved to Chicago. I started a new job. Um, We had a family member who was living with us in our two bedroom, small apartment, and I was making new friends and I was a part of a new church. And also with all of that, dealing with a very real diagnosis that I was trying to get a handle of. And so during that summer would be truly one of the most painful seasons of my life. Like I thought that I had experienced suffering back then in my childhood and adolescence and nothing could have compared to what I felt during that period of time during that year. Um, I felt like I was just a loose cannon. I could not get a handle of my emotions. I felt like I was either like really happy or really depressed or really um, anxious or just completely numb. Mm-hmm. Um, I was feeling all of the emotions all at once. And within an hour, I could go through five different like highs and lows of emotions. And I was I was confused. I thought that like, again, I was like, God, what the heck? Like, I thought we were, this was supposed to get better. Like, why is this getting worse? Mm -hmm. And in that year on October 31st, so Halloween um, is when um, I would again get to a really low point. And I don't want to share details for the sake of people who are listening, who may be like triggered. Um, But I contemplated uh, again, um, I would end up being taken to the ER and I would end up being admitted into psych for the first time. And so I remember being taken into the psych ward um, at the local hospital. And I, I really thought to myself, like, man, this is what rock bottom feels like, (laughs) like, this is it. Um, You know, I I remember being in that place and wearing my hospital gown and seeing all of these people around me also suffering and in pain. Um, I remember being in my room, I had a roommate and every night I would listen to her falling asleep while crying. Um, I would wake up in the middle of the night to, um, fellow, um, ward mates, um, crying or screaming or asking for help. And I felt like I remember laying, uh, laying in my bed one day and, um, just looking at God and saying like, God, this place ironically, is the most safe place that I've ever felt because I don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to pretend I'm okay. I don't have to pretend like I have it all together. We're all here and we're all suffering. Um, I remember the day that I was, um, the morning after I was admitted, I was um, sitting near the telephones. I actually had called you (laughs) to let you know, like, hey, this is where I'm at right now.
0: (laughs) You're so calm.
1: (laughs) I was trying to, man. I didn't want to scare you. You didn't. And I remember sitting on the floor in the hallway, sobbing, openly sobbing with people, doctors just walking by. And I remember I had, there was a girl that came up to me. She had been admitted about three times and she knew that it was my first time. And she sat across from me and she said, "Um, I know that you're going through a hard season. I don't know what that looks like, but I promise you it's going to be okay. And, um, And it was, I remember that was truly the beginning of what I would see as my restoration and redemptive story um i i look back at that time in the psych ward and i um i just chuckle so much because i made such good connections while there and i was able to uh, my heart grew my heart grew so much for the outcast My heart grew so much for the weary and the weak. Um, And so to be in a position where I was in my own weakness, but also seeing others weak, it did something inside of me where I started to have a fight back in me again. I felt like God was saying um, I've brought you here for a purpose. I've let, I've let you live in the midst of people who are suffering like you, but also people who need me. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was released from psych and I came home. Uh, life again would continue to keep moving forward. And I would, for the first time, be able to work with a specialist Um, that was specifically working with BPD patients. Um, I would come to find that there are so many tools and um, therapy is incredible for, um, I would say most people, but the therapy that I was experiencing um, in terms of like DBT and such were just so life, life changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to grow and grow and grow very quickly. Um, there would be, um, an opportunity for me to eventually switch to another specialist. And, uh, that is when things really changed. Um, it was like a whole other level of seeing me walk into my recovery journey. Um, This was a clinician who also had been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Um, And she would be the one who would uh, tell me that, actually, this is not chronic. Mm -hmm. This is something that people can overcome and that illness is not your destiny. Mm -hmm. because Christ is so much bigger than that. And I think up until that point, I had accepted that I would be sick for the rest of my life, that I would, that this was my lot in life. This was my thorn in my flesh. Mm -hmm. And that this was something that I was going to have for the rest of my life, no matter what. And I accepted that, I think, Um, until I started working with her. Um, She also is a believer, which made things so helpful because for the first time in my life, I was able to look at mental illness and realize that there is restoration and redemption for those who are dealing with mental illness in Christ. And so, um, yeah. I I hmm God is really good. Um I never thought that I could stand here today and say that, uh, especially looking back at the years of suffering and the years of pain. I remember there was um, at one of like my worst times during that year of 2019, I remember laying in my bed, sobbing, sobbing. Um, and I remember telling God, I remember yelling at him at the ceiling because apparently that's where, you know, God is, is <laughs> ceiling every time. definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember telling him through tears and I said, God, if this is it for me, If this is the lot in life that I have, fine, like bring it on, but don't let it be for nothing. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm going to have this, and if this is going to be my testimony, then (laughs) I was like, then you better use it for your glory. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Because if it's used for your glory, then I can do that. I can do this. Like that's worth fighting for. And so um, where I am today is the healthiest place I have ever been in, in my entire life. I um, recently was told by um, that specialist that I've been working with um, that clinically I no longer show the symptoms of borderline personality disorder anymore. Um, that I have, um, that my recovery journey has gone really well. And that although I am still a very passionate person with intense emotions and I feel things very strongly, <laughs> um, I, I no longer act in dysfunction. And that, um, going through this process of having this radical acceptance and then this radical ownership of my story and taking responsibility for my mental illness has brought me to a place where I can be radically obedient to Christ. Mm -hmm. And I never thought that I would get to a point truly I hoped, but I never thought that I would get to a point where I can say that I no longer show clinically the symptoms of this disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, the the redemption and the restoration that I had hoped for. I, I think I, I did not give God enough credit mm-hmm. um, and he truly does deserve all the glory of my story. And there are so many ins and outs of that story, and so many things that I could share um, of the finer details of my story. But big picture, what I could say is that, um, and, I, and, I, and I and this is a quote from um, a writer that I really like. He's a neuroscientist, but also um, a biblical teacher. Um, and what he said that I've always held on to is biology is not destiny. Mm-hmm. And that we can see that through how the brain works, how the brain um, was created by the Lord, he truly can transform our minds. That Romans 12:2, that verse is true. And it's real and that, um, that God truly can take the, the broken pieces, the moments of crying out to him, like the dark, those dark, dark nights of the soul and turn it around and use it for his glory. Um, and I remember during that, that crying out to him, I had told him, I was like, God, if If you get me through this, if I survive this, because at that point I was really just trying to survive every single day. I remember saying, if I survive this, God, like game on, like just use me however you want to, like, I will boast in my weakness. Like I will, I will do the things that I need to, to use my story well um, I want to be able to, um, to speak on behalf of those with personality disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, the church, the world still, you know, I think we anxiety, depression, ADHD, and things like that, which by the way, I do have ADHD, but that's besides the point. <laughs> um, that one hasn't quite left the building. <laughs>
0: God can use all things for good.
1: (laughs) Totally. totally. Um, I, uh, I remember thinking like, you know, these are, these are um, diagnoses that the world is still fearful of Mm. and that the world still doesn't understand. Um, And I, I wanted, I told God, I was like, God, like if you redeem this story of mine, I wanna be able to speak on behalf of those who struggle with the the disorders that are still, people are still fearful of. I wanna be able to point to redemption. I wanna be able to point to the gospel. I wanna be able to point to a picture of, yes, there are a lot of people in this world who live with personality disorders but we're also everyday people and we want to do good and we don't want to hurt people. And um, I mean, I can speak for the borderline personality disorder community of we do not want to be in dysfunction. We do not want to hurt people. We don't want to do these things that can can um, be seen as painful or scary or whatever. Um, we are people who are hurting. Um, we are people that feel things very strongly and have, um, and live life with an intensity. And I've come to find that, um, while we as a community can have these strong ways of um, viewing the world and being in the world, those can also be wonderful things that we can bring to the world, as long as we aren't acting in dysfunction. Like my passion, God can use my intensity, God can use my, um, like, my excitement towards like getting into the nitty gritty of life. God can use Um, the fact that I'm a highly sensitive person, which is just kind of a hallmark of people who have BPD is I have the ability to be empathetic and have compassion in a very deep way where I can come alongside people in ways that maybe others can't. Um, and those are things that all can be used for God's glory.
0: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, Melanie, I am so grateful that you shared all of that. I, I know that it's been a journey, um, but I think God is using you and, uh, clearly he's using those broken things that he's restored, uh, to shine his light. Um, I do want to ask a couple specific questions because Kasten's not here, um, but I know uh, she would also, uh, she will also love hearing your story. Um, But you mentioned um, that in church, uh, it was easy for you, and maybe you didn't say specifically church, but it was easy for you to create this sense of a false strength, um, acting like you had it all together. And one of Kasten's questions was, why uh, is there such a stigma in the church um, regarding mental health? And you mentioned that in the world there's a stigma. But um, do you think, and also, like, just juxtaposed, it's too early in the morning to use that word, but juxtaposed against the, the experience that you had in the mental uh, ward, right? Like, of, yeah. this was the safest place because everyone knew that they were broken and they needed help. Yep. Um, tell me about that in regards to the church, you have a deep love for Christ in his church. You also have a deep love for people who are struggling with mental health. Um, so, uh, share with me, <laughs> my, my kid just waved high, um, share with me a little bit more about that and your thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, so definitely. So in terms, so just to clarify, so mental health stigma in the church, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I think when it comes down to it, uh, we see mental illness scattered throughout the Bible. Um, it is so clear, um, and we we see it in various different ways. The Bible refers to what we would call mental illness in the Bible. It's considered um, the, the words that are typically used are insanity or madness. <laughs> and so there are various different ways. Um, areas of the Bible and scripture where we see people who have these, what would be considered maybe abnormal behaviors or things like that, where even in biblical times, people, we can, we can see the reality that people fear what they don't understand Mm -hmm. and people fear, um, being hurt by what they don't understand as well. And so I think the, the big thing in terms of stigma with the church is there's two things. There's that. And then there's also this understanding that, well, um, just pray it away. Like God is big. Like he can take it away. Like he's our great healer. He is the great counselor. Like just pray to God and he will, you know, take all of these things away. And I can honestly say that there was a period of time where I really questioned my salvation and I really struggled with God. Um, And that was kind of where the, I hate you statement came. um, Was that I remember just thinking like, God, I have gone to you so much and I have prayed and I have done all of the things that I can do as a believer. And yet, why haven't you taken this from me? And Yeah, I think that the biggest thing in terms of the church, and there's areas where I don't fault the church, but there's areas where um, once you know, you have a responsibility. And I think for a very long time, both in the world and in the church, we haven't had the scientific studies that we do today. You know, um, I would say that um, mental health care and that really coming up into the scientific world start the 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 term psychiatry was invented invented in the early 1800s but we really really see care for mental health starting in the 1950s we see it in the 60s and then the 90s there's new ways of caring and um we 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 see that in biblical times a lot of people who were having these behaviors were you, um, were taken care of, if you will, with restraints, with fear, um, with very much not seeing the person, but seeing the behavior. And so I think that when we look at the church today, I still think that we can function in such a way where we see the behavior and not the person. And that we have a responsibility as the church to care for the, the sick, to care for the ill, but we but also on the other side of that, those who are ill, who are believers of Christ, also have to take responsibility of their health. And be and that was something that I had to learn. In terms of taking radical ownership of my mental health, of saying, no, I didn't cause this brokenness inside of me, in my mind. Um, God allowed for this to happen, but I am still responsible of how I carry this out. Hmm. And I think that the, with the church coming together with people who are suffering, there is a responsibility on both sides that I don't always know if it's talked about enough. Mm -hmm. And as again, like the church is responsible to not just deal with behaviors, but also to see the person and the soul that needs care ultimately. And then the person who is ill has to take radical ownership of the fact that yes, they live with this illness, but they can still walk in the spirit. They can still seek Christ. They can still take, um, make choices. And also taking responsibility looks like getting care, getting support, seeking, not isolating yourself. You know, the, the reason why I would say that I I got to that low point where I was hospitalized is because I was so scared of judgment from the church and from people that I went into such isolation to the point where I had no truth coming in. I didn't seek support. I didn't seek community. I didn't seek the care that I needed. Um, All I saw was my behaviors. And I think that's something that on both sides we don't recognize all the time is I didn't even see myself as a person. Mm. I saw myself as maybe this this person that needed to be restrained or this person that needed to be held back away from people. And yeah, what, what I would say in terms of just kind of closing that thought is that the church and those who are ill have both have responsibilities Mm -hmm. and in terms of stigma in the church the church has to understand that mental health and mental illness is real it is a area of brokenness just like anything else out there. And we cannot cherry-pick brokenness. And in order for us to to live in alignment with the gospel, if we truly believe the gospel is good news, that means that there there is good news for those who have illness. Because if there's good news for the person who has a cancer diagnosis, there is certainly good news. For the person who is dealing with depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, um, personality disorders, and we can't cherry pick that. And so, um, I think what I would encourage in terms of the church, and this is an area where I'm really passionate about is making sure that leaders are equipped, that there is actual studies going through of the Bible of what mental health and mental illness looks like and bringing the redemptive and restorative nature of
0: Christ into that story. Mm -hmm. So good. Um, Clearly there's a tension, right? Because on the one hand, you're not defined by your sickness. You talked about how you found redemption from your diagnosis even with BPD uh, through Christ. So knowing that Christ is able to heal he's able to redeem he's able to restore um but also that tension of just praying praying it away right and so i think there's a lot of people there's a lot of people who perhaps struggle with that tension i mean i know people in my own personal life uh who will say things like you know what jesus is my healer i don't need to seek healing elsewhere um, it's just fine. Um, I don't need counseling. I don't need medication. Um, and then whether they like to or not, and and this, uh, that's between them and God, but it's almost this inherent judgment then for people who do need medication, or who yep. do need, uh, you know, counseling. So what would you say to the person listening right now who maybe is struggling with that, like, God can heal, I know he can. But He's my only healer um, versus what you're saying, which is uh, God does heal, but he also uses these other things that we need to be aware of and not hold against people for seeking them out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm on medication and I would say that God allowed for medication to be created to help with the Chemical imbalances in my brain, you know, like just like God has raised up doctors and physicians, you know, like the same thing goes for He has raised up counselors and therapists, and He has allowed for there to be um, ways of allowing the brain to be renewed. We, we know through science that our brain can be actually transformed through neuroplasticity. And so um, I would say that, yes, God is our healer. He is our great counselor. And God also uses people in his kingdom to carry out his mission of redemption and restoration Through gifting them um, with compassion, gifting them with understanding to be able to walk alongside people who are suffering, you know, like we, we, we know that as a church, it's our responsibility to come alongside people. So just like a doctor would come alongside their patient so to a therapist come alongside their patient. And that can be a picture of walking alongside the weak and the weary. And simultaneously, we can still go to God. It doesn't have to be an and or an or. It can be that. I go to God and I pray and I believe him when he says that he is healer and counselor and redeemer, because that's who he says he is. And he shows us that his promises are true, but I can also trust that he has put into the hearts of people in his kingdom to have the giftings to come alongside fellow believers. And fellow people to carry out his mission. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I know that this is a real thing. I know that especially like I've, I find in older generations, like mental health and therapy and stuff like that is definitely not something that I think is considered often. Um, and I have I've had conversations with my grandma about this plenty of times, Um <laughs> But yeah, Is, does that answer the question?
0: Yeah, I think so. And I'm also thinking, I'm going to ask you this question, then we're going to wrap up here with the final one. But awesome. um, I might have to have you back on here for a part two. I don't know, because I, I just love chatting with you about this. But I'm also thinking about the young woman or the person listening right now who's not a believer, who's going, okay, I, I, I hear your story. I hear your hope for the Lord. It's beautiful. But what difference did Jesus really make? I mean, really, it was, uh, you know, medication. It was the right therapist. It was, right? Like, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute and say, for the person right. listening who's struggling and has not put their faith in Christ, what difference did Jesus actually make?
1: What I can say to that is
0: that I I had hope.
1: I had hope. Um, there's actually, if I could... Um, This is a verse that I really clung to. And regardless if you're a believer or not, I think that this can be really encouraging to you. And it says, um, 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And I think that for me, what believing in Jesus did was that when I, especially when you have mental illness, you can get so wrapped up in the things that you can only see in front of you. And the things in front of you can lead to hopelessness. Like you can't, like when when you wake up in the morning and you can barely get out of bed because you are struggling so much, That is that is your reality. That is the world that you live in. And I understand that world. And yet what Jesus did for me was that when I got up and I didn't want to get out of bed, I I, I came to realize that if Jesus truly is who he says he is, then I need to not only trust in what I can see, but I need to trust and what is unseen. And trust that if he and his promises are true, then I need to not go after the seen, but my hope is in the unseen. It's in what it seems like is impossible. It's in the, okay, God, I don't see this. I don't know if this can be true for me, but I have hope in you In who you are. And the alternative doesn't look much better. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, the alternative is not great. And so, if I'm really going to put my trust in you and I don't want to be able to be stuck in pain and suffering, then what the heck? Let me go after what is unseen and see who you really are
0: and what have you found in pursuing the unseen and choosing to believe him i found
1: that chasing after the unseen has given me more hope more understanding of redemption and restoration i i look at the gospel and i see wow it is good news there is good news in the unseen there is good news when i wake up in the morning i open my eyes and i think that the world is too much but even so i bring my feet over the edge of my bed i stand up and i realize no there there's more to this there's 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 more to just my emotions There's more than just my feelings in the moment, but I can can hold hold on and hold true to not my fleeting words that go through my mind, but I can hold and stand firm on the words that have lasted for over 2,000 years. Those words have never changed, and they continue to stand firm. So... My words, my script in my head. I don't need to trust that, because I should trust in the one who has been the same today and forever. And and that's really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, I lied. I have one other question that popped into my head as I'm listening because you, you have such great insight. One of the criticisms that I hear sometimes, and uh, I'm not sure, it it doesn't have some validity, to be honest, is that, and and I have a master's degree in psychology, counseling psychology, so I can can share this, but I've even believed this at times. Like, the study of psychology, the focus on mental health, sometimes it's so... um, it's like looking in a mirror. It's like you get tired of looking at your own face so much, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. very self-focused. Um, and so one of the things that I hear sometimes from Christians or, or maybe like I said, I even have thought is like, stop focusing so much on yourself and start focusing on other people. And maybe it won't be so, it won't be so bad. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. What can you say to that mentality? Because for someone who has not struggled with mental illness or has not been to a, um, the mental ward at the hospital, like maybe uh, it's easier to have that perspective, right? So, but I'd love for this to be like acknowledging that, yeah, there there is some of that if if you see that as well. I, I want your perspective on that, Mel.
1: So would you, are you saying that it would be, um... That people who look inward, that would be the struggle or the struggle is looking outward?
0: I I think um, what I'm saying is like the idea of self-care, self-help, all that stuff, it's very self-centered, which sometimes is uh, often in contrast with the idea of the Christian narrative, which is to love God, love your neighbor, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm actually really glad you brought that up because when I was working with my current, the current specialist that I work with, um, one of the things that she encouraged me to do was to increase my service, increase the opportunities for me to go out and help others. Um, and then what I found, and I, th- at the time I remember thinking like, but I need help. (laughs) Like, what do you mean? Um, And I remember uh, she was like, but we also remember Melanie, like servant, like servant, having a servant heart, like a heart and walking in the character of Jesus is healing. It is going to be a part of the healing nature of you getting to who God has called you to be by emulating the character of Christ. And so even if you do your journaling for the day and you do the things that are going to be um, filling for you and your health, also remember that what is, what, is, what is ultimately going to satisfy you is being someone who goes out and loves thy neighbor, who goes out and cares for the sick, who goes out and serves like Jesus would. And what I found is that going out and serving was one of the most healing things that I could have done during my recovery journey. Mm-hmm. That going to the homeless shelter, there was something that that I I, I, could, I can't even explain it, but going out and being amongst people who too were suffering and our suffering brought so much healing to me being in the psych ward. I remember like going around in my, in my last couple of days, I'd go around and I'd sit with different people of, um, who were on my, my ward and I would ask them questions. I'd get to know them. Um, maybe some of the stories they told me were true. Maybe they weren't. <laughs> Some of them were questionable, but I was like, hey, you're a great storyteller. (laughs) But I found that near the end of my stay, going around and getting to know people, um, encouraging them, smiling and laughing at their stories and seeing them as people was so incredibly healing Mm -hmm. and that Those commandments, love God and love others, isn't just there to be a good phrase on a tote bag, but it's there because that is how God, that it like that's how God draws us to himself Mm -hmm. is by drawing us to Him and drawing us to his people. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I would agree that sometimes there is a place for care. Uh, Like if you want to take a bubble bath, by all means, take a bubble bath, but also don't forget what we are called to. And that those commandments of loving God and loving others is there for a purpose. Mm -hmm. And it's there for to to continue to carry out the redemption and restoration that God has coming for us.
0: And that can be part of the healing as well, an unexpected part of the healing journey. 100%. Yeah. Okay, Mel, final question, because I'm running out of time here. I got kids I have to take to school and all the things, but uh, this has been wonderful. Uh, The Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration eternity, authenticity, and love, all things that in their truest form uh, you and I both believe are found in relationship with Jesus Christ. Which of those things, restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love, which stands out to you the most in your life right now and why?
1: I love that. The one that stands out to me the most, I would say, is authenticity. Hmm. And I would say that because I feel like in this season of my life, God has given me so much freedom to be authentic to the story that he has written for me. And I think there was a long period of time where I was ashamed of my story and I was ashamed to share and yeah, I don't feel that way anymore. I'm I'm happy to boast in my weakness and I'm also happy to boast in in the story that he's written for me. Like I'm excited to share that he is the author of my life and that I can be authentic and real with every single word, paragraph, chapter that he has written out for me thus far. Mm -hmm. And to be authentic to my testimony is to also know and share that my, my, my hope and love for Christ too is authentic and it's real because I have a story to tell. Mm
0: -hmm. And it's a powerful one. Mel, thank you so much for being on here and sharing so uh, much truth and your own story, your own journey. And um, yeah, you know, I love you. So love you (laughs) until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with him. Until next time.